Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and jump to Mark chapter 4 today, and we are on this journey uh, through the book of Mark. We started at the beginning of this month, and uh, we'll finish up by the end of the year. And today, as we journey through this book, it brings us kind of to the end of this first section. Over the first four chapters, we've been kind of introduced to this character named Jesus, and we've been learning more and more about him, and the picture of who he is is starting to become a little clearer and a little clearer. If you're old enough, you may remember a Polaroid camera, right? I mean, you would take a picture and immediately spit out a picture, and uh, you would have to take it, like pull it off, and then you would have to wait for it to develop. And you had, we had all these different tricks that we, you know, you would shake it to make it develop. You'd blow on it sometimes. If you hung it down low or something, it might develop quicker. And it was like you, we wanted this picture, and you could see it slowly, slowly coming in to focus. And that's kind of what we're doing over these first four chapters of Mark. We've kind of taken this Polaroid picture of Jesus, and this image of who he is is coming a little bit more clear in our eyes. I, I remember it was probably about a year, year and a half ago, Natalie, uh, my daughter, came up and she was saying, hey, I found this camera online I want to get. And I thought, you have a camera on your phone? Why do you need another camera? She says, no, it's kind of cool, Dad. You take a picture and it instantly pops out and it's printed for you. And I was like, yeah, those have been around forever, Natalie. Like, it's a Polaroid camera. And she was like, yeah, you get to watch it develop and how cool that is. And I was like, this generation is so missed out on the patience of things. But that's what chapter one through four are. It's just been this patient look, this patient picture of Mark painting with beautiful strokes who Jesus is. We learned about his uniqueness, that he is divine, and his destiny is to bring salvation to all mankind. We looked at his intentions, that he's not just here to, to set up some earthly kingdom or to help people that are sick. Although he does those things, he is much more concerned about our spiritual nature and our spiritual restoration and letting faith live out in our lives on a daily basis. We learned last week that he is about pushing back on incorrect social norms, whether that be spiritually Uh, emotionally or even relationally, he's willing to push back on those. Today, we kind of get this final snapshot that brings who he is and the clarity of his person into focus today. And today, we're going to look at one of the main ways that Jesus, not who he was or all he did, we're going to actually look at how he taught, how he communicated. Everywhere he went, large crowds gathered. Jesus was known as a master teacher, a master communicator. It says over and over again in the Gospels that people marveled at his words, that they were blown away. They had never heard somebody speak with such authority, never heard somebody speak with such creativity. It says that they were amazed. But when we study the teachings of Jesus, it's not that he was able, that he was this amazing and putting logical arguments together. He was. He was really good at that. But that's not what amazed people. It wasn't able that he was just able to stir up emotions and work people into a frenzy by his words. He did that at times, but that wasn't what made him a great communicator. It wasn't that he was able to pull back and just bring historical facts and figures and ideas to the present. He did that at times, but it wasn't that that made him such an incredible teacher and distinct, among other things. When I think of my teaching style I'm a, and how I communicate, I'm, I'm a logic artist. I try to build blocks and arguments around, and Chase always jokes at me like, I, you, you trap me in logically, so I only have one way to go, and that's the way I do it. I, I grew up doing debate in high school. I loved uh, debating. It was one of my, I still love debating today. It's one of my favorite things. That's how I communicate. Like I just try to logically put the pieces together and say there's only one way to go. 
Jesus didn't do that. He didn't just pull facts and figures. He didn't just emotionally stir up people. While he was able to do all those things, it was actually his ability to tell stories that really made an impact in people's lives. It said scripture that he actually didn't teach without telling parables or stories to go along with it. It was his main form of communicating a point and driving truth into the hearts of his listeners. If you think about it for a minute, there is power in stories. There's power in telling stories. I remember growing up, going to my, my grandparents' house. We called them Nanny and Papa. We would go over there, and the whole family would be there. Christmas, Thanksgiving, all of our times. And it would always end with people telling family stories, things that happened in our family. And I can remember we would always push back to, there were like two or three stories. We were like, Nanny, tell us this story. And every time we were there, it was the same story, but there was just a power and feeling a connectivity of being able to tell that story over and over again. And it was the story of Soap Sally. Now, it means nothing to you, but in my, in where my grandmother grew up, there was uh, their washing machine drained into their backyard, and there were all these soap bubbles that came up into their backyard, and my parents were scared that that soap monster, they called her Soap Sally, was coming to get them. And so, like for you, nobody finds that story amusing. You're like, that's kind of weird, right? But like for our family, when we would sit around a dinner table, a Thanksgiving table, and we would tell that story, we would have these deep emotional connections with each other because it was a shared experience. And in chapter 4 of Mark, we get our first introduction to Jesus being this kind of a storyteller. Jesus is beginning to share some parables with his disciples and the crowds that were coming to hear him. And what we're going to do today, I want you to hear on the front end, today's teaching is going to be a little different than what I normally do. Usually I take a passage of scripture, I explain the context, I talk about some key pieces of information contained in that passage, I share some truths of how that scripture has impacted my life. I give you some principles that we can apply to our lives. And then I typically give you this question to ponder that helps us think about it as we go through the week. And today I'm not really going to do that at all. Because if I did that, it would actually go against what Jesus desired for his stories and his parables to do in our life. You see, when Jesus told his story, his parables, he most often didn't explain the meaning. He would just tell the story. And he would leave it for the crowds to wonder among themselves, what did he mean? And it's recorded over and over in Scripture that people would hear these stories and they go, what does that mean? And they're like, I don't know. Do you know? And they would start talking about it. And that's what Jesus actually wanted. So if today all I did was read a parable and tell you this is the meaning, this is what you should be getting out of it, I would actually be doing something that Jesus himself often didn't do doesn't mean that there aren't some key learnings to be had from these parables. It just means that there's maybe not one learning or one thing to grab. So here's what we're going to do today and what we're actually going to do this week. I'm going to share with you some characteristics of parables. I'm going to share with you some ways that you can approach these stories. I'm going to give you some questions that you should use to ponder these stories uh, that Jesus taught And I'm going to challenge us to spend time this week, either in our small groups or with friends or with family, reading through Mark 4 and these parables that we find in Mark 4 and actually struggling with them together. The goal today isn't for me to teach you the meaning of the parables in this chapter, but it's to teach you how to experience them for yourself, because that's what Jesus did. I want us to start by reading one of these parables that we find in chapter 4 so that you and I can experience it. Maybe you've heard this one before. Maybe it'll be brand new to you. But I want you to understand, in all the Gospels, there's about 35 different parables that Jesus shares. These stories that he just pops off and he uses as a teaching tool. 
that he does throughout the gospel. So here's the first one that's recorded in Mark. And it's Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. And I'll read it, and it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea at at the land. And he was teaching them with many things and parables. And his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, but it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up, increasing, and then yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, before I read the last verse, I can imagine people are listening to this going, yeah, I get this. Like, I've seen this happen. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about, Jesus. Like, I've done that. I've planted in the wrong place, or I've seen something grow up in the ground. It's been scorched. So, so what does this mean? And in verse 9, he does a typical Jesus thing, and he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's like, that's it. Like, he just says, if you can hear this, hear it and take it in. And, and I think the whole crowd, like many of us, we sitting there going, no, no, tell me the meaning. To be honest, the temptation for me right now is to immediately jump in and try to start telling you the meaning behind this story and how you should interpret it and how you should live it out. And there are things as I'm reading this that immediately jumped off the page to me. For me to do this, though, would actually short-circuit what Jesus wants to actually happen here is for you that have ears to actually hear and to begin to struggle with this yourself. As a teacher, this is really challenging for me. What if someone hears something different than me? What if uh, you experience something different than what I experience reading out of it? Jesus is like, well, if he or she has ears, then the most important thing that they can do is hear it and take it in, not to hear it and hear you tell them exactly what it's about. And as, as I said, as a teacher, that's tough for me. And even maybe as regular students of the word sitting in this kind of environment, you're like, no, 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 Patrick, I would rather hear what you have to say. Like maybe what I say is wrong. And what I want you to hear this morning, what Jesus does masterfully here, and why these stories have lasted over decades and centuries, is not because of what one teacher, how one teacher has interpreted them, or how one rabbi has interpreted them. It's the fact that there are truth in these stories that last beyond time and can have impact in each of us personally. Now, as we we read through this, in the next few verses, Jesus does, in this one instance, get his closest group of followers together, and he asks them, he says, do you understand what I just did? Do you understand what I just said? And as he asked them this, they were like, no, we have no idea what that meant. Like, we know what it means to sow seed, but we don't know what you're saying. And after this parable, he does one thing. He starts telling and explaining to them one of the meanings of this parable. And if you go on and read later on, which I'm going to encourage you to do, read on later in chapter 4, Jesus explains, like, here's who the seed is. Here's who the sower is. He's helping them look at the story and begin to understand how to draw truth out of it. Imagine if you were the disciples at this point, and you're like, oh, yeah, it makes sense now. I get it. And they're, like, just strolling through the crowd, like, hey, did you guys understand that? No. I got an idea. And they start, you know, I think the seed is, like, kind of the word of God. And that our hearts are like the soil. And they're like, oh, you men are so wise. You're so deep, you know. They were just passing along what Jesus had already said. But 
The truth is that's not how Jesus designed it. He actually designed it for every person to take it in and grapple with it himself. So I want to do a couple things. I want to define what a parable is, talk about what it is, what it isn't, and how we should engage with it. And then we're going to have a time uh, of remembrance this morning. So what is a parable? Parables are, are more than just stories. It's not like just Jesus gathered around people and said, hey, let me tell you some of the best Hebrew stories that have been out there forever. These are actually stories that he came up with. And here's the way I describe them. They are a common story with a personal meaning. And here's what I mean by that. As a common story, these are stories that can, everybody can easily relate to. As you're reading through this first one, you hear about, now most of us are not sowing seed on a daily basis. We're not out farming and things like that. But this culture, they understood, they saw that on a daily basis, especially where he was telling the story, on the seas of Galilee. It was a farming area. And that, so they, they knew the principles of what it meant to go sow seed. So he was telling a story that everybody could easily relate to, but yet it had a personal meaning, which is to say that each person could be impacted by the story in a different way. So maybe as you're reading the story, you would be like, man, I understand like that stony, that rocky soil, like immediately my mind may just go to that. And you know, I, I kind of understand that. I understand how that seed doesn't take root there. And sometimes things don't take root in my heart and you immediately identify that. But everybody can be impacted a different way. So when Jesus would tell these stories, he was imparting a common truth about the kingdom of God that when he received, when the world received it, impacted people in unique and individual ways. I don't know if you guys remember the movie Inside Out. It was a Pixar movie about the emotions and all that stuff inside of this little girl. And we went to go see this movie. It was me and my wife, Katie, our two kids, some of their friends, and a a girl who was single at the time. We all went to see this movie. And as we're watching this movie, it's one of my favorite movies. We all came out of that movie, and we all had completely different emotions and perspectives on that movie. Like, I'm like, I need to be a better dad to make sure my child is taken care of. And Natalie's like, I know exactly how she, I miss my childhood. PJ's like, I don't feel any of that. You know, it's like everybody's like going through these different things of denial of this and that. Everybody took something different away, and that's what this parable is. That's what these parables are. That as we look at them, we all approach them in different ways that have the most impact on our life. So let me tell you what a parable is not. Some, just some things, because sometimes we get caught up and, and we start thinking that they are more than they actually are, and we start ascribing more meaning than they need to be. Let me tell you the first thing that they aren't. Parables are not factual or actual. What I mean by like that, these are fictional stories. These aren't some story that Jesus saw and then he retold. They're a fiction that communicate truth, a truth behind there. But the story itself did not happen. When I was a youth pastor growing up, we, we were doing a, a uh, we had this Bible study. And one of the questions came up like, hey, when you get to heaven, who would you like to meet? And I remember clear that day, one of the teenagers says, I can't wait to meet the prodigal son. And I was like, well, you know, he's not a real person. Like, he's just a character in a story, Jesus told him, no, 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 it's in the Bible. He's the prodigal son. I was like, no, it's, it's just a story Jesus told about a prodigal son. And sometimes we equate actual and factual. And why this is important, it's kind of funny, but it's important because here's what we can't do. We can't ascribe equal importance to the characters in these stories that we do actual historical figures. So we can't say, you know what, the prodigal son did this and Jesus did this, so which way do we... Like, it's a story. He's a, 
he's at, you know, this whole, he's showing a lot of different things in this one character where Jesus actually lived. Matthew, Mark, John, these men actually lived. Ruth and the Old Testament actually lived. These are people that we can learn from versus just the characters. And that's, we also have to realize that these are generalized characters to help demonstrate and reveal attitudes and actions that we can relate to. It'd be like reading Harry Potter and afterwards, you know, I want to build my life's ambitions off of Harry Potter, off of Hermione. I want to be just like Frodo Baggins from that. I mean, it, it's, these are fictional characters that are, you know, we do this all the time. I'll be watching a TV show. Do you guys watch This Is Us? You know, it started back. It's, if you like to cry, watch This Is Us. But the, the dad and the husband on there, I feel so inadequate. Every time I watch that show, I'm like, I am not that good of a father. I am not that good of a husband. And I have to remind myself, he is a fictional character. Like, I don't think anybody is that good of a husband or a father. And so we have to remind ourselves these are generalized fictional characters. But the second thing we have to realize is that parables also are not singular in meaning. We're not going to one day figure out the one meaning, push everything, and find that jewel, that hidden gem that's in there. Uh, It's not that one day we're going to find it and get an award that Jesus is like, yeah, you finally guessed it right. You got it. You win the prize. You get a free miracle today. That's not the way it works. They're designed to have multiple meanings for multiple characters as we view them. Sometimes when I read parables, I connect with certain characters than I did the last time that I did. Or certain situations, certain details, or key ideas shift based on what's going on in my life. There are these incredible mystery stories that can't be figured out. I grew up, I loved to read growing up, and one of the books I loved to read were Encyclopedia Brown books. Anybody else remember those at all? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. So, you know, you would read, and at the end, it would give you all these clues in there, and it would like, how did this person, what actually, who stole the cookies? You know, and you would have to think back through what clues were given to you. But once you figured it out, it was known. It was done. Like, there was no use in going back and rereading an Encyclopedia Brown story because you knew it at that point. You knew the mystery. That's not what parables are. Parables are more like those books that you'd read and be like, all right, if you want to do this, turn to page 28. If you want to do that, turn to page 32. And you're like, oh, let's do a 32 this time. And every time you read the book, it's a little different. Anybody else remember those books as well? That's kind of like what a parable is. That every time we read it, we may have a different experience with it. And that's what gives Jesus' teaching such depth. It wasn't just one teaching. It was a depth of teaching that can impact our life every time we read it. The other thing I want you to know about parables is this, is they are not theologically complete. I have met people that have taken one story, one parable, and built an entire theological and philosophical approach to life based on one story, and that's not what Jesus intended. I think a better way to understand the parables is to say that each reveal a portion of the way Jesus intended us to understand his heart and the kingdom of God. So if you looked at these 35 stories in totality and how he communicates the truth of that, maybe that would reveal a great theological and philosophical aspect of life. But to say, I'm going to take this one story and build everything off of that is not how Jesus intended. He would teach and he would say, you know, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. And he was revealing pieces versus the entire theological aspect. So what are parables then? Let me tell you some things that they are. Parables, one, they are topical. 
They deal with a specific issue or a specific question that arose. Most of the time, they were a response to somebody saying, Jesus, should we do this? And it said, Jesus responded in a parable. And he said, well, the kingdom of God is like this. And he would start telling a story in response to a question or response to a situation that he was in. This means when we read the parables, we should look around and see what else is going on in the story. Not just take it out of context. Who's he talking to? What's he talking about? What have they been talking about? Where were they when the story was told? All of these things are important. But the second thing is this. Parables are truthful. They're not just topical. They're truthful, which means these stories, even though they may be fiction, there is a truth demonstrated in the story, and that truth is not fiction, which means there's always something to get out of these stories. It's not just a cool story like, oh, that's great. That's pretty cool. Now, what is the truth that is in it? What is something I can pull out? They weren't designed to just make you relate to them. They were designed to make you engage with them and to draw the truth out of them. And the third thing is this. Parables are practical. They actually lead to you applying them in your life. It's not just going, oh, I should love other people. I should forgive people. That's the truth. It's actually then moving you to doing that to actually moving you to actually implementing that in your life. That's why Jesus used these, to teach you a principle that moved into a practice. So when you look at the sower and the seed, you can go, well, if my heart is shallow, how do I prepare my heart to receive the word of God in a different way? What do I need to do? And we start talking through that with one another. This is where the power came from. There's their listeners would begin to live out the principles of the story. So how do you engage with these, uh, with these parables? Because as Jesus told his first parable, you'll, you'll see there's a passage in Mark 4, 10 through 12. I'm going to read it. And it says, once he had gotten his disciples alone, those around him were the 12. They asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, which means basically I told you kind of what I meant. I told you I, I, I did that that one time. He said, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He's actually speaking in a riddle here. He's like, this is actually for those to realize this. Following Jesus is going to stretch how you think about things. It's more than just seeing. It's actually learning to perceive things. It's not just about hearing things. It's beginning to understand things. And that's what parables do. They help us see the deeper Meaning, they help us go to a point of understanding that we can never get to before. Just about every parable that Jesus shares starts with something that says this, the kingdom of God is like this, or the kingdom of God can be compared to this. So the stories are revealing the nature and character of God. And he didn't just want these to be verbalized, he wanted them to be internalized. And I want to challenge you to do something, as I mentioned this week to, as you read through these, but anytime you're reading through scripture and you come to a parable, don't just read it and keep going. It's designed to be stopped, pondered on, wrestled with, and truth pulled out of it and applied to our life. The worst thing you can do with a parable is just read it and move on. They're designed to be engaged with so that the truth becomes internal. And here's some questions that I've learned to use over the years of how that I do this. How do I question these parables? First, how do I learn about the kingdom itself? And I I asked three questions, and they should be on the screen. It says, what issues are identified in this parable? What truth is revealed? And what values are expressed? What are the things that the parable is trying to put out into the world? 
What's it pushing out? What is the story? What are the themes that are being revealed? Not just who are the characters and all that stuff, but what issues are being identified, what truth is being revealed, what values are being expressed. What are these things communicating to the universe? That's my first question. What can I learn about the kingdom? But then I start to say, how does this apply to me? And I ask questions like this. What actions are demonstrated? What attitude is challenged? And what transformation is encouraged? This is me now taking what's been put out and internalizing it, putting an end to who I am. And I think too many times we, we don't do either of these with the parables, or if we do, we talk about the themes, the thing that it's putting out without taking hold of those and internalizing them in our life. Learning to engage parables this way should cause us to remember the truths of Jesus and the kingdom no matter what we are facing. These should become anchors for our soul no matter what circumstance comes into our lives. But I want to be clear, this can be difficult. If we don't struggle with these truths, if we just hear them, we just hear them taught to us, or somebody said this is what that parable means, if we just hear them and we don't actually struggle and internalize them, then when trials and tribulations come, we'll quickly forget them and become overwhelmed and let loose and let circumstances overwhelm us and despair and doubt flow freely into our life. And can I tell you, if that's happened to you, you're in good company because it immediately happened to the disciples. This chapter ends. I'm going to read this. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to hear this part of the story because think about this. The disciples had just, they'd, they'd seen Jesus do all this amazing stuff in chapter one, two, and three. And then they had hear him teach and tell these parables and he even gave them great truth and said, you know, this is how you struggle with it, how you anchor your faith. So grow in your faith, live out of your faith. And they were going around teaching other people and telling them the meaning of parables. And it was an amazing moment in their lives. And then this happens in Mark 4. Listen to this. And then on that day, when evening had come, that very same day, when evening had come, he said to him, them, let us go across to the other side. Remember, they're already on a boat. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them on the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking onto the boat so that the boat was already filling with water. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And then they were filled with greater fear and said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you see what the disciples did here? They got out in the boat. Immediately after having an incredible faith moment, this, this, the picture of Jesus had become clear to them. And they're out on the boat, and a storm comes and immediately they lose every anchor of hope that they had and they turn to despair they forget that jesus the actual source of hope is sitting in the boat with them and they just they lose sight of it they are overcome with despair they forgot to remember who jesus is and what he could do because they had not internalized it into their life a moment of crisis came in the disciples' lives, and instead of remembering the truths that he had taught them to struggle with and pulling on those anchors, they let go of everything and let fear overwhelm them. I don't know. I 
Uh, Jesus has a sense of humor. Maybe he orchestrated this whole thing. Maybe he's like, all right, let's bring the waves and wind on and let's give them a little test. You know, and it's like, nope, you didn't pass the test. Or maybe he was just catching a nap. I'm not sure. Either way, it's a reminder for us that we should remember Jesus and his teachings when trials come. And we don't remember those because we've been educated on those. We remember those because we have internalized those because we've struggled with the truth. This week, I want to challenge you to do something. I want to ask you to read the parables of Mark chapter 4 this week and wrestle with them. This is what we're going to be doing in our community groups. As we gather this week in our groups, they said we're going to read through the parables listed here in chapter 4, and we're going to talk about them. We're going to wrestle with them. We're going to ask people, what did you see? What do you feel? What stuck out to you? And as we wrestle with them, we're going to internalize them into our life. If you don't want to go to group this week, if you're not able to go to group, maybe do this with family or do it with some friends. Find someone to do it with. Even if you have to do it by yourself, spend time this week wrestling with these, tru- with these truths and let them become eternal to you. Well, I usually close each sermon with a question to ponder, but actually today I'm going to leave that to you to come up with that question as you wrestle with these truths. But what I want to do today is actually bring us to a point that I think that were the disciples forgot, and that's actually to remember Jesus, to have a moment of remembrance. Just like Jesus' disciples, if, if we aren't intentional, we will forget about who Jesus is, that he is this amazing, distinct, divine man who cares about the depths of our heart and souls more than anyone or anything else. He is a man of complete wisdom and truth that can provide hope and healing for any issue of your life. And one of the ways we are taught to remember him is through the act of sharing communion with one another. Communion is an opportunity to actually remember the body and blood of Christ that was sacrificed for us in such a way that we could be restored to our creator and have a relationship with him. It It is this picture of beautiful love and sacrifice. And so today I want us to close our service by remembering Jesus. And let me tell you what communion is. This is designed for those that have chosen and willfully surrendered their heart to Christ. You can't remember something if something has not happened in your life. Does that mean if if you don't take communion, you're less of a person or less valued to God or less valuable to our church? It just means it is an act of remembrance for those of us who have experienced a radical transformation in our life through the grace and forgiveness of Christ. But it is also a celebration. It's a celebration of the hope and the healing that we will experience through this restored relationship with Jesus. And so here's how we take communion. In just a minute, we're going to pray. And after our prayer, there'll be elements on each table here. There's a piece of bread and there's juice to dip it in. And I'm going to invite you to come and take the bread and dip it in. You can come with family. You can come with friends. You can come individually. But the whole point of this is a moment of remembrance. That as you take these elements and you dip it in and then you take it, you would remember that Christ is enough for you. That you would remember that his truth will always point you to the path of hope. That his life surrendered for you allows for complete hope and healing as you walk through this journey. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? As we come to our time of communion, I want you to just take a moment and remember. Just think about who Jesus is.
and what he's done. Maybe there's a teaching of Jesus that just comes to your mind right now. Maybe there's a story of healing that comes to your mind. Maybe there's just a picture of him praying in a garden, him being alone with the Father that comes to your mind. Maybe it's the image of him being baptized and coming out of the water and the dove descending. Maybe you remember that moment in your life that you surrendered your life to him and experienced true forgiveness for the first time. Maybe it was a moment of deep despair in your life where you clung to the hope of Christ even through the darkest moments and you held on to that hope. Maybe it's the moment right now that you're dealing with. That in this moment of remembrance today, you're going to put your feet back on solid ground and walk with joy and peace no matter what circumstance you're facing. Would you just take a moment and remember? Oh, dear Father, you are so good to us. God, I, my mind is filled with moments of remembrance, times that you've been faithful, times I've failed and you've forgiven, times I've been weak and you've given me strength, times I've been uncertain and you've been my rock, times that I have felt completely hopeless and you've picked my head up, stared me in the eyes and spoke hope back into my life. Let us remember those today. Let us hold tightly to those. Let us wrestle with those moments and make sure we internalize those feelings and those truths that we experience. And God, as we come to this table today in a moment of remembrance, may this honor you. May we remember the ultimate sacrifice that you made, but again, the ultimate victory that you had over death. And may this moment, this morning, for some of us, become a memory stone in our life that today I renewed my hope in Christ. Today I began to walk with new joy. Today I set aside circumstances and held on to the character of Christ. Lord, we love you.